Welcome back to the Weekly Driver Podcast. My name is James Rea. I publish the website, theweeklydriver.com, and I'm an automotive columnist for Bay Area News Group. My colleague and friend is Bruce Aldrich, and today we have on our a guest uh, about the wonderful world of Jeep. His name is Patrick Foster, and he's written a book called Eight Decades of Jeep from Willys to Wrangler. Uh, welcome to our uh, broadcast, Patrick. How are you today? I'm I'm outstanding, actually. How are you guys doing? We're we're, Good. we're fine. We're, we uh, we enjoy talking. We have never really discussed Jeep all that much in our podcast, so we're we're eager to hear really? all about it. So no, <laughs> I've ridden oh, a lot of to, Jeeps. We're going to have to correct that. You got to yeah. talk a lot about Jeep. That's right. Could you give us an overview of um, this book uh, and the fa- you, the fascination? I'm sure you have a passion for Jeep. So. Let's start off by just uh, having you tell us about Jeep and, and what the uh, brand and, and what it means to you to write this book. Well, okay, that's a tall order, but let me let me get started on it. Sure. Um, I wrote the book because, I've, I like you said, I've got a passion for Jeep. Uh, when I was uh, a younger fella, I was a Jeep salesman uh, oh, at fantastic. an American Motors dealership here in Connecticut, and uh, I had never driven a jeep before i went to work at this place and when i learned about all the capabilities of it and then learned the history of of the brand uh, i just sort of fell in love with it i mean they're they're really incredible vehicles and uh i've actually written this one is my sixth book about jeep fantastic Um, it's a big i've written 30 books so you know it's taken a this has been a big percentage of them um but you know it's such a it's an evolving history. You know, you look in the last year, they introduced the, uh, uh, the gladiator. Yes. And now, uh, they've, they've shown off the electric, uh, Jeep concepts, the hybrids and everything. So, you know, this is a, a brand that's evolving and it's growing like crazy. When I was selling Jeeps, if they sold 80,000 vehicles a year in the world worldwide, that was a good year. Um, you know, this year they're, they're probably going to do about a million and a half. So it's grown tremendously. Wow. It's one I of the no real idea. powerhouse. Brands. Oh yeah. Jeep is one of the real powerhouse brands worldwide. Can you put your finger on it or is it more than one reason why that growth uh, has occurred? Well, you know, people don't believe me when I say this, but Jeeps really are different. You know, I have people with BMWs and, and uh, Range Rovers say, well, I have four-wheel drive. Yes, and they do. But Jeep's four-wheel drive really is different, uh, particularly in their premier vehicles, the, the Wrangler, the Gladiator, and uh, Grand Cherokee. Mm-hmm. Uh, their, their four-wheel drive systems are superior to most of the others that are, that are out there. And uh, you, you feel a, a sense of confidence. Now, you fellows are where? In California? Yes. Okay, we're here in New England, where it snows, you know, um, pretty much half the year. And uh, when you're driving a Grand Cherokee or you're driving a Gladiator, you've got a sense of confidence that no matter what, you're going to make it home or you're going to make it to wherever you're going to go to because the Jeep four-wheel drive is a superior four-wheel drive. Uh, Other than that, they're just, you know, fantastic vehicles to look at. You know, there's... Uh, I challenge you to find, you know, any other truck that's as good looking as a Gladiator, you know, or any sort of uh, off-road vehicle that's got anywhere near the charisma of a Wrangler. You know, they're they're just incredible vehicles. Well, yes. I do not uh, do like the look of that new Gladiator. It, it it's is quite it's, something. It's yes. a gnarly looking rig. I was uh, looking through your uh, 
your book, and there apparently that name has come up before in, in back in the years. What was that? Oh, the Gladiator name? Yes. Yeah. Back in late 62, uh, Jeep introduced the, their first new vehicles in, in years uh, called the J-Series. And, and the one that everybody remembers the most is the Wagoneer uh, Sport Utility. But they also had the Gladiator line of pickup trucks. And uh, it was an unusual name even then, but uh, they were they were modern. Um, they were the first, as, as far as I know, the first four-wheel drive pickup trucks that uh, offered an automatic transmission as an option and air conditioning. So they were a little bit upscale. You know, they were rugged, they were dependable, but Jeeps have always been uh, aimed towards people who like uh, the better things in life. You know, even even among four-wheel drive, you know, the, the uh, rock jumpers and uh, the people who like to have mud flying through the air, um, they like to have a little bit of, you know, the, the better things in life. So Jeep is always kind of focused on, on that aspect. Uh, the Gladiator, they kept that name, I believe, to about 1971 when they finally changed and just started calling them J10 and J20 along with industry standards. Uh, but that truck remained in production uh, through 1981, so it was you know from 63 to 81, quite a while for one uh, one vehicle, and they sold thousands of them. Yes, well, that's interesting. I I should have known that, but I just don't recall that name at all until it just came out again. Yes. Yeah. And, and there's a you know, Trailhawk too, I, right? Trailhawk. Yeah. Yeah. I, I sat down one day and started writing all the different model names that Jeep has used over the last 80 years, and. Uh, I, I filled up two pages. I mean, there's, there's just an awful lot of, uh, you know, individual models and then sub-models and things that they did on a limited-run basis. Uh, I don't know if any – and I don't know if my list is, is complete because there's just so many of them. Uh, well, I, but, I remember uh, names like Commander and – well, they still have Cherokee, but uh, Jeepster. <clears throat> yeah, Jeepster. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, they had Commando, too. Yes, um, yeah. Patrick, I'll, I'll get my one journalistic question in here. Bruce is the vehicle expert and I'm more of the journalistic background. And you mentioned writing 30 books. Um, what is that process like for you? Are you a, a five by seven guy or three by five, uh, index card guy on a bulletin board? Or do you have a, the process of writing a book seems to me to, to test a journalist's patience. I'm more of a daily guy. You know, I, I do things in a couple of hours or three hours, but Writing a book and is that, a, and that's how I used to be too. I, yes. I got my start as a magazine writer for the old Special Interest Autos magazine. Gotcha. And uh, which has in, evolved into Hemmings Classic Car, and I'm still with them. I, I've been with Hemmings organization for over 25 years. Sorry, not to know that. Uh, I beg your pardon. Oh, quite all right. But uh, I'll tell you, it's yes. actually an interesting story. How I, one of my editors suggested I write a book about American Motors. They said nobody's written the book. You know more about it than anybody else. You should write a book. And yes. uh, the thought scared me because, I mean, how do you write a book? Mm-hmm. And it just so happened there was, there was a fellow living here in town at the time. He since actually moved to California. Um, and he had written the, uh, uh, the original uh, screenplay for a number of movies. And um, he had written something like 22 uh, Kojak books wow. as well. He, he, wrote, he actually wrote the screenplay for Friday the 13th. So I called him up because I knew a friend of his, you know, and I yes. uh, said, can I come over and talk to you about writing books? You know, and I, I went over, his name is Victor Miller. And I said, Vic, uh, how do you write a book? <laughs> 
And he said, well, you sit down at your desk and, and you write a thousand words. Mm-hmm. And then the next day you go back and you edit what you wrote the day before, because that gets your juices going. Yes. And then you try and write another thousand. And then the next day you go back and you edit the first two pages and you write as many as you can on the third day. And he said, and if you keep doing that, after a year, you're going to have a book. <laughs> there you go. I love it. I <laughs> and it was so simple. I, I, my, my eyes opened up wide, and I said, I can do that. Sure you can. And it actually took me a year to write the first book. Gotcha. Um, yeah. I thought but, you were uh, going to uh, quote Mark Twain and said uh, something about, what was that old line about? Uh, being a writer is easy. You just sit down and open up a vein, something like that, right? you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> something like that. Well, well thanks yeah. for sharing. I, uh, books uh, are you know, quite a process and I've only written one, but, um, somebody who's written 30, um, you can't see it, but, uh, my hat's off to you because that just takes a, a superior, um, organization it, you know, it, and diligence like and all that. Else, yeah. It's like anything else. The more you do it, the easier it becomes. Uh, it's like lifting weights or, um, you know, road racing, anything like that. The more you do it, the easier it becomes. And nowadays, um, I shouldn't say this on air because my, my publishers are going to get angry if they find out. But nowadays, I actually work on two books at a time. Oh, oh um, smokes. That's Mondays, great. I'll work on one book. Tuesday, this is the other book. Wednesday, I go back to the first book. Thursday, and then Friday, I do my magazine work. Gotcha. That's very uh, organized. Good for you. Um, yeah. With, uh, with Jeep, I think, you know, as a layperson, um, I know about, you know, the World War II Jeeps and things like that. Um, do you think that that's the, if somebody says Jeep to the average person on the street, do they, you think that if they're old enough, they remember, well, yeah, that was the, what they used in world war two. Is that still uh, a prominent thought or have we, we kind of moved past that? It, you know, I think we are moving past that. When I grew up, uh, you know, back, say back in the seventies and eighties, uh, the connection to the world war two Jeep was, was very obvious. Yes. And Jeep even used it in their advertising. But uh, nowadays, you know, I, I think part, partly with the dumbing down of America, most people are not really, um, they don't have a strong connection with the history of World War II. And so I don't know if they really, if, if uh, younger people realize the connection that Jeep has with that. But, uh, you know, for, for anybody out there who's interested, um, when the Army uh, brass saw that World War II was coming, there was going to be a war somewhere, and we were going to get sucked into it. They decided, since it was going to be a mechanized war, that we needed uh, a mechanical, uh, something to replace the horse, something that could be a scout car that could take men and supplies places where a truck couldn't go. It had to be able to mount a 50 caliber machine gun, which is a lot more complicated than it sounds, and it had to be cheap and durable. And they sent out to 180 different vehicle and parts manufacturers and said, this is what we want. Give us a bid on it. And only three companies replied because, you know, it was just too difficult. You know, how, how do you make a vehicle that can do all this and be cheap and meet the armies? They wanted it, uh, you know, in, in mere weeks. Wow. Uh, and it was only, you know, the, the two most desperate small car companies in America answered first. Uh, Willis Silverland and Bantam, uh, because they had nothing to lose. They were, you know, they were struggling to stay in business. Bantam, in particular, was on the verge of bankruptcy, and Bantam, you know, came up with the with the vehicle that we recognize as the first Jeep, the first, you know, military four wheel drive, and um, 
They won a contract, and they, they built several thousand of them. But they were a small company, and there was uh, an indication that the Army was worried that they might go out of business or might not be able to supply enough of them for the coming war. So they gave the contract to uh, Willis Overland. Yes. Uh, the Willis vehicle was very similar to the Bantam, but it had a much more powerful engine. So its performance overall was much better. And it, it wasn't the cheapest vehicle, but it was cheap enough. And um, that really saved Willis Overland. And they built hundreds of thousands of them for the war effort. Ford was given a subcontract to build the Willys vehicle, you know, the same design, but in their own factories. And they also, I think they, they built over 200,000 themselves. So uh, there were quite, a, quite a few of them built in uh, several generals, um, in, including um, um, Patton and uh, Eisenhower said that, you know, the Jeep was one of the things that helped us win the war. You know, it was just uh, anything, mm-hmm. you know, designed to be a scout car. They found when emergencies came up, they could be used to haul cannon uh, across beaches, under fire, uh, through swamps and everything. They weren't designed for that, but they were designed so ruggedly and sturdily that they could do a lot more than they were designed for. And uh, they, they were practically unkillable. Any soldier in the Army wanted to have a Jeep. They all admired the vehicle. And uh, a good many of them, you know, their lives were saved by Jeeps that managed to get out through the shells and the, and the fighting and pick up wounded men and take them back to aid stations. Gotcha. So it's, it's, a, it's a dramatic history, and, and it's real. You, yes. know, this is, you know, this is a, the history of uh, American combat. And Jeep had a tremendous uh, uh, part in it. I know you mentioned in your book that even uh, they heated their sea rations on the engine manifolds. Yeah, and, uh, you know, back then, I I don't think antifreeze had been invented yet. So, you know, most radiators were just filled with water. And they would wait till the radiator got warmed, and they would drain some water out and use it for shaving. Oh, Oh, my gosh, no, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) But you do what you do, right? That's right. Yeah, yeah. And and as far as cooking dinner, yeah, you know, uh, some people actually still do that. I don't know if you know about this. No, Uh, but there's a a little subgroup that like to cook their meals on hot engines. And what you do, and this is particularly good with Jeep, is you you wrap, like say you've got some chicken cutlets or or veal cutlets, you wrap them in tinfoil, double wrap them so you don't get exhaust fumes on them, and you put them on the the intake manifold of the engine and um, drive it around for half an hour, an hour, and it'll it'll actually cook your, your dinner for you. And uh, there's even been guys have actually written cookbooks on how to cook over <laughs> over a warm engine. <laughs> wow, too much time on your hands. I think. Right. <laughs> yeah. Moving along here, uh, Jeep history. Uh, I would I picked out in reading your book, um, probably the Jeep Wagoneer in '63. Was that kind of a a new good turning point for Jeep, or, or is there something before Hello? that? Hello, Patrick. Oh, okay, okay. It yeah. sounded like we broke you. Oh. The now, 63 Wagoneer is one of those landmark vehicles. You know, it was the um, the first sport utility vehicle with four doors. Some people claim it was the first sport utility vehicle. I, I tend to think the 49 Willys wagon with four-wheel drive was. But um, the Wagoneer in 63 was the first sport utility vehicle with four doors. It was the first one that was designed primarily to appeal to passenger car buyers. 
It had good styling. It was very compact. You know, you look at it and it looks like a big, you know, uh, rugged vehicle, but it's really no bigger than a Volvo station wagon. Uh, it just ha- happens to sit up higher and the, the way it's styled, it looks a lot uh, uh, bigger than it is. It was also the first four-wheel drive vehicle to offer an independent front suspension. It was the first to offer a combination of four-wheel drive and automatic transmission. And it was the first to offer air conditioning. So the Wagoneer just bristled with innovation. You know, it, it just, uh, it, it changed the rules of the game. And once it came out, uh, Jeep sales started to climb up. And, they, you know, they, uh, they realized, and this was interesting, they, when the dealers ordered the first bunches of them, they tended to order the basic models, and people didn't want those. They wanted the ones with the automatic transmission. They wanted air conditioning and power steering and power brakes and custom interior and everything like that. So in 1966, Jeep brought one out that had everything in it, everything you could throw on a vehicle, air conditioning and power windows and bucket seats and everything, and they called it the Super Wagoneer. And it was tremendously expensive for the time, and um, it did it did very well. And I think that later on, when they brought out the Wagoneer Limited on the same vehicle, uh, that was one of the inspirations. Uh, the Wagoneer, you can you could put this down in the books uh, too, was the first sport utility vehicle in America to have a leather interior. Oh. Uh, they won an award huh. for that. I'll be darned. Patrick, yeah. um, in recent years, uh, although it's a newer car, the Ford Bronco. Um, some of the early years of that car have escalated in price. Are uh, some of the older Jeeps have they become quite valuable, or are there enough of them around that they're they're not as valuable? Or fill us in on what where, where they are in terms of uh, vintage car prices. Uh, you know, it's kind of funny if you if you're looking at uh, a Jeep from the '60s, um, like a CJ5, uh, they're pretty reasonably priced, especially if they've been modified in any kind of way. But if you find a, a mint original condition CJ5 from any time in the 60s, uh, they'll fetch a very good price. You'll you know you'll be looking twenty five to thirty five thousand dollars for that. And uh, the same goes into vehicles of the 80s. See, the thing about Jeep owners is they like to modify them to suit their own tastes. And then when they go to sell them, you know maybe I don't like the modifications, and I realize I'm going to have to modify it to suit my tastes, and it, it tends to drive the pricing down. Um, you want to see a phenomena. There was a vehicle they called a little pickup called a Scrambler that they built from 81 uh, to uh, 83. And uh, it was a, a basically a, a Wrangler pickup truck, you know, but it was a two-door and it only had a five-and-a-half-foot bed. And when when it was out, they weren't all that popular for some I don't know why. It could have been that the economy was in, in the hole at the time. But now... They're selling for just, you know, bukus of money. People love them. I'll be darned. Um, yeah, yeah. It's like a little gladiator, uh, except it's only got two doors. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It's like a little gladiator. It's, it's It looks like a, you know, like a gladiator, like a baby from, from two gladiators. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I love that. Thank you for that. Um, one other thing I would know as, as a layperson in this is that uh, I forgot the year, but was it a, I think it was a, a major uh, point of controversy among uh, Jeep fanciers when the grill went from nine to seven um, slats, I guess. I don't, there's a better word than that. But um, t- 
talk us through that, if you would, about the reason behind that and what it meant to you as a as an expert in the in the of of um, the cheap field. You, you know more than anybody, probably. But what what was that all about, and and what did you make of it? Well, the the uh, World War II uh, jeeps, the original ones, had uh, steel slats. Uh, they made up the grill, and, and I think you're right. They were either 9 or 11. I forget the exact number. Yes. And uh, it was a Ford design, um, and it was very utilitarian, but somebody along the way realized, gee, you know, we can stamp these out of sheet metal, and it'll be a lot easier to assemble and a lot cheaper. So they switched to a seven-slot, um, you know, stamped grill, and that seven-slot grill now is, is trademarked and patented by Jeep. I see. So if you try and put that on another vehicle, anything that looks too much like the Jeep one, um, you're going to find find oh, you're getting lots of letters from lawyers, uh, and 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 they're threatening. Um, they had a lawsuit years ago when Hummer was still around because they used a grill similar to what the Jeep, and they had the seven slots and everything. Um, that went to court, and whoever was handling the case for Jeep really didn't do a good job because they actually lost that case in court. They should have won it. Um, but, you know, Hummer is now defunct, so it doesn't matter. Yes. And you've probably heard that they're going to be bringing back the Hummer as an electric pickup truck. But, yes, uh, I did hear that. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, boy. I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know if they're going to try that seven-slot deal again or not. Patrick, uh, can you <laughs> can you take us up through the 1970 to 87 American Motors years? Was yeah. that good, good or bad or... Well, I'll tell you, um, the original owner of, of Jeep, of course, was Willis Overland, which became known as Willis Motors. And they were bought by uh, Kaiser Frazier, and for a while they were known as Kaiser Willys, and then they became Kaiser Jeep. And the Kaiser people invested quite a bit of money in Jeep, but they just weren't car people. And uh, they never really got the hang of the car business. So uh, they didn't do well with it. They... they uh, the Jeep business by the late 60s was divided into two parts, the civilian vehicles and the military vehicles. They were losing buckets of money on the civilian vehicles because they weren't selling enough of them, but they were making a lot of money on the military vehicles, which balanced it out. When American Motors bought it in 1970, they said, we're going to separate them into two companies, Jeep Corporation, which is going to make civilian Jeeps, and then AM General Corporation, which is going to make the military vehicles. And this way, you know, they're going to have accountability. The, 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 the civilian vehicles have got to be profitable. Um, doing that really, uh, it saved Jeep from, I think, going out of business. I think if Kaiser had continued, they sooner, sooner or later would have had to drop the Jeep line. Uh, American Motors merged their dealer network in with Jeeps, which doubled the number of dealers that they had. And they put their best people to work on coming up with dressier versions of the vehicles. And that's when you saw the uh, the CJ5 Renegade, Renegade 1, Renegade 2. And they made the Renegade eventually a, a production model, and it was a tremendously popular one. And uh, they began dressing up the Wagoneer even more. That's when they went to the leather upholstery and power everything. And uh, a friend of mine is a, a retired Jeep designer. And he said one day, uh, one of the marketing people came into the styling studios and said, on a Wagoneer, you got to add more leather. Put leather on the, on the door panels, on the seats, anywhere where it's not. Put the leather because people are buying these things like crazy and they're paying big money for them. <laughs> and uh, 
they, I mean, they, they've just made money hand over fist there. And as a matter of fact, in the end, it ended up saving American Motors for quite a while uh, when their car business started to, to fade out. And I think, you know, uh, because of American Motors, that, that set it up for the next step, which was Chrysler bought them out in uh, 87. And Chrysler took the whole organization up to another level. They added their dealers into the mix and their marketing muscle and, you know, the distribution, and it just, you know, it, Jeep began to grow. Um, one thing that uh, I, I've been really happy with Fiat Chrysler, you know, the current owner, is that they've done more to expand the worldwide business because Jeep has always been sold around the world, but they didn't put enough push in it. They didn't really, you know, make it a volume vehicle in Europe, let's say. You know, and now, uh, you know, they sell hundreds of, of thousands of Jeep vehicles in Europe. I had no idea. And they sell no, them. I didn't either. Yeah, they sell them in China and uh, India. CJs uh, you know, or do. what? Do you know? All, What's all, that? All models or just the, the, the Wrangler model? Uh, no, they sell most of the models in most of the countries where they're at. And uh, the thing, the, the way out is you just go to, uh, like, say you want to know what they offer in Venezuela. You type in Jeep Venezuela, and it'll bring up their website. They have a, a website just for that, and it'll tell you the models there. Uh, same with Mexico. They've got a plant in uh, Brazil now that uh, I believe you know they offer all the models there. So they're, they're really a worldwide vehicle. This is how you get up to, to where you're selling a million and a half vehicles a year. You, know, you have to be selling to the world. Sure. But they, they, right. and they, actually, uh, they actually have a small assembly plant in Venezuela, come to think of it. Wow, huh. <laughs> they have an assembly plant in Italy, you probably knew that, Brazil. They have an assembly plant in Mexico, and, uh, of course, several in the United States. Yes. Uh, China. So, yeah, they're, they're all, over, all over the place. I guess so. And, and India, yeah. What happened during the uh, Daimler-Chrysler uh, um, union there? For I think you listed it 99 to 2007, and you yeah, called Yeah, that, that you, you was never a really a union. You called it a financial was, disaster know, for Mercedes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is which is only justice. You know, it's like going you can't go into a marriage based on a lie. And that's what Mercedes Benz did. They had told uh Chrysler that this is gonna be a merger of equals. And they never intended that. They they as soon as they took over, you know, they started calling the shots. And the thing is, is they had a European mindset towards sport utility vehicles that, uh, you know, they were dumb vehicles for dumb people, and they weren't going to invest an awful lot of money in them. And uh, so they, they pretty much starved uh, the Jeep product uh, fund so that they could concentrate on, on other things. And they didn't market them as well as they should. And Jeep was just very stagnant for a while. And uh, their, their design team uh, was very discouraged. You know, because they they would show vehicle designs and say, no, it's not European enough. You got to change this. You got to change that. And uh, the merger never really, you know, never really merged. Did, didn't you know, Jeep get, always? Didn't like the Grand Cherokee get a, a independent rear end out of the Mercedes? Yeah. And, and there's some small yeah, that things was like good. that. That was that was yeah, that was one of the good things actually. They they got some some good engineering. The Grand Cherokee did okay on it. Um, but you know, as I as I started to say, the, the the merger never really took place because although the company was merged, internally 
it was like two warring camps and they never got along. You know, the, 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 there's a, a classic saying, the Germans never understood um, why the Americans didn't want to work over weekends. Uh, and part of it was because they didn't get the month of August off like the Germans did, you know. <laughs> so they okay. gotcha. And uh, you know, they just they just couldn't understand each other. You talk to any of the Jeep uh, people who were with the company at the time, talk to them today, and it's a, they have very bitter memories about that. Patrick, we'd be remiss if we didn't ask you uh, if you own a Jeep or more than one Jeep, and if you do, uh, what what do you own? <laughs> <laughs> Got to get that in, of course. Well, that's a great story. Uh, no, I, I don't own a Jeep right oh, now. Oh, my goodness. I, I did until um, August uh, when I was coming back from a car show in Ohio. I was in Pennsylvania, and um, I got involved in a head-on collision oh, with my a gosh. very large truck, and it demolished my Jeep. Oh, we're glad to be speaking so, with you today. That's nice. <laughs> I'm glad nice, you're here. Yeah, I Jeep spent, I spent yeah. two days in a hospital in, in Pennsylvania and oh then a month in bed here. Uh, I couldn't drive. Um, you know, could barely walk. So yeah, I'm, I'm glad to be here. Um, but I haven't, uh, you know, I haven't gone out. I was a little annoyed because I had just finished paying the Jeep off the month before. I see. So, uh, you know, I, I've got, I've got like four other cars here. So I just said, well, I think I'll just, you know, drive one of the other cars for now and maybe next year i'll go out and buy another one another what do you jeep. fancy for your for your vehicles other than the jeep of course um i have a <laughs> this is going to sound funny i have a 1980 amc concord nothing funny about that that's great <laughs> yeah i have a i have a 67 rambler that's my summer company car my uh, heart's skipping a beat on those ramblers i love them yeah and then i've got a uh for for trips and things like that i've got a saturn aura Wow, that I can't picture. I can't picture a Saturn or a what is what kind of a car is that? I don't even know. It's a, uh, it's, a it's a by by standards today, it's a big, it's the big Saturn, and uh, I mean Sedan? when you think of Sa- Saturn cars, you think of um, you know little cars or, or SUVs. This is a big sedan. It was considered a sports sedan. It's got a big V six in it and dual exhaust, and you floor it and it chirps the tires even though it's got posi traction and oh boy uh, it's a fun it's a fun car to drive sounds like it nice yeah i really enjoy it patrick this would be a a, probably a good place uh to uh, thank you for being our guest we want to mention that uh patrick foster's book is eight decades of jeep uh from willies to wrangler and as you mentioned earlier you have 30 books i'm assuming that many of them are like this book, are available on Amazon.com and maybe some other locations. Are all, all of your books still in print? or, or? Uh, No, some of them are out of print, but uh, I'll tell you where the best place to get them is Please. at uh, oldmilfordpress.com. And old is with an E in it because we're in New England. Yes. And that's how the king always used to spell old. So it's oldmilfordpress.com. Okay. Uh, that's my own website. Fantastic. And if they order them there, they can get an autograph copy. Fantastic. Cool. Well, I, yeah. thank you for telling us about that. Um, I'll look for your order. Okay. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Patrick, thank you so much for being our guest on the Weekly Driver Podcast. We really appreciate it. We could speak all day because obviously you know an awful lot about Jeep, and it's a fascinating vehicle. And um, thank you so much for, for taking the time today. appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me on. I, re- I, I appreciate it. Okay. Thanks a you lot. Guys, you guys take care. You do All the right. same. Thank you, sir.